0: Hey podcast listeners, I'm excited to share that you can now support local winemakers by shopping for wine on Somley.com, where you can find over 450 Texas wineries and 80 wines available for purchase directly from each winery. If you're a Texas winery, claim your page to add photos, team members, and additional information about your winery for free. And if you're a wine lover, join me in creating a profile at Somley.com, to give your favorite Texas wineries a great review. Cheers, y'all. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 47. Today you'll hear my interview with Clint Thomas, owner and operator of Cellar Rat Wine Tours in the Texas Hill Country. He's got some tips for visitors and his own interesting story in winemaking. I've been on a bit of a summer break and it's good to be back sharing all the great things going on in Texas wine. I'll do just one episode in August and then we'll resume more frequent episodes in September. The summer is a great time to catch up on any episodes you might have missed, and I'm still around, so please keep sending me your feedback and ideas, whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. Here's an update for you. In June, I was invited to lead a VIP winemaker panel before the Toast of Texas event that was put on by the Wine and Food Foundation of Texas. I shared my top five Texas wines of 2022, I had so much fun, and the winemaker panel was a hit, and I think we could have talked all day. So here were the top five Texas wines that I have had thus far in 2022. The 2021 Lizzie Rosé, which is an estate Malbec, presented by Susan Johnson at Texas Heritage Vineyard. Then the 2020 Roussand from Oswald Vineyards, presented by Dave Riley of Dukeman Family Winery. Number three was the 2021 The Boges Carbonic Sangiovese, presented by Randy Hester of CL Buteau. Then the 2017 Asteri, a Bordeaux blend, presented by Benedict Rhine of Coleman Cellars. And finally, the 2020 Dolcetto, presented by Ray Wilson of Wine for the People, That wine is under her La Valentia label. So thanks to everyone who came out, and I'm sorry not everyone could attend the VIP event. It sold out very quickly, but it was great to meet several podcast listeners at the event. And be sure to follow, or better yet, join the Wine and Food Foundation of Texas, because they put on great wine events all year long. And the Toast of Texas is an annual event, and it is not to be missed. Also, during my podcasting vacation, I went to the Finger Lakes to judge the 22nd annual Finger Lakes International Wine Competition, and Texas Wineries did quite well there. Congratulations to Spicewood Vineyards for winning Best in Class Tempranillo for their 2019 Black Label Tempranillo. And there were also two additional Platinum Medals given for other Tempranillos, and they were the Ron Yates 2019 Tempranillo and the Peternalis Cellars Texas Tempranillo Reserve. Two double gold medals were also given, and you guessed it, they went to Tempranillos. These two were the Ron Yates Red Label Tempranillo from 2019 and the Cristoval 2019 Tempranillo. I did not get to judge any of the Tempranillo flights, but it sounds like the judging panel loved Texas Tempranillo. So not only was I there to judge wine, but also to lead a Texas wine tasting during lunch on one of the judging days. Now, the opportunity came up kind of suddenly, and I didn't have time to gather any samples from wineries or to shop for wine, so I was limited to what I had on hand. And the kicker was that I needed two bottles of everything I poured to have enough for all the judges to sample. So I packed my wine suitcase with a dozen bottles of Texas wine, and here's what I took. These were the six wines that they tasted during my luncheon session. First, the Dandy Bubbles from Wine for the People. Then a Marsan from Lost Straw Cellars. Next, a red blend from Southhold Farm and Cellars. It was called Therapy for Liars. Then I tasted them on the William Chris Morvedra from the Lost Straw Vineyards. I think that was a 2019. And then the Estate Tempranillo from the Parasos Vineyards, and that was the prized 2017 vintage. And then finally, a 2018 Hunter from William Chris Vineyards, which is a Bordeaux blend. I have a handout that I presented this group. If anybody's interested in getting it, it has a map, some facts about Texas, and a list of the wines. But while I'm sad that these wines are no longer in my collection, I was so glad to share them with the other judges and some of them had never tasted Texas wine before. That was more the exception though, because I quickly found out how many connections there are between Texas wine and New York wine. And first of all, several people asked me if I know Wedding Oak winemaker Seth Urbanick, who went to Cornell and who worked up in that region. So hello from all your old friends, Seth. Next, one of the other judges was Morton Halgren, who owns Ravine's Wine Cellars with his wife, Lisa. And Morton and Lisa are absolutely important pioneers in the Finger Lakes region. But I was shocked when Morton told me that one of his first jobs in the wine industry was in Fort Stockton, Texas. He was the assistant winemaker at St. Genevieve Winery. And Lisa is from San Antonio. So that was cool, too. Um, next, another one of the judges works for Lieb Cellars on Long Island, and they now own the vineyard where Southhold Farm and Cellars started on Long Island. Yet another judge was once on a panel with Tiffany Farrell, the winemaker at Hack Winery, and he was very well versed in Blanc du Bois, thanks to knowing Tiffany. And then the final small world connection was that we took a field trip to taste wine at Fox Run Vineyards, which is a very large winery on Seneca Lake. And there I met the owner of Fox Run, Scott Osborne, who told me that he's on the board of Wine America with Chris Brundrett, the co-founder of William Chris Vineyards. So Scott says hi, by the way, Chris. So all of this just goes to show you how small the world of wine is. But the wines I tasted there reminded me of how big the world of wine is. And here's what I mean by that. I drank a lot of wines, like a lot, that I had never had before, or at least I hadn't had this many of each type. I went back and counted all the different flights that we were served, and we had 30 flights of vinifera and 20 flights of non-vinifera wines. And that includes hybrids like Vignoles, Lacrosse, Nore, which was my favorite, Chardonnay, and Cével Blanc. And then there were the fruit wines, things like one hundred percent blueberry wine, or, for instance, a Chardonnay, Riesling, or Gewürztraminer blended with maybe pineapple, rhubarb, or blackberry. So you get the picture. Now, a few of these ended up being some of my very favorite wines of the whole competition like a sparkling maple wine or a sparkling wine from 100% Traminette, which is a grape that I was completely unfamiliar with. So it really expanded my horizons on a lot of fronts. One cool thing about the Finger Lakes International Wine Competition is that it's a charity wine competition, and the funds raised go to support Camp Good Days, which is a sleepaway camp for children with cancer. The camp is on the Western Fork of Keuka Lake, and we actually did the judging in the camp's dining hall. And that camp has been in operation for many, many years and um, is free of charge for these kiddos, and it's served 50,000 campers from 22 states and 36 countries. So I was really glad to have been asked. And I thank um, the Finger Lakes International Wine Competition for asking me to participate and also for putting a Texas wine tasting on the agenda. So shout out to all Texas wineries that meddled. There were 11 of you. And you can see the full list of medals on TexasWineLover.com. And speaking of wine competition results, Texom released the results from the Texom Awards. And thanks to Somley, I saw a graphic that shows how the Texas wineries fared. They calculated that there were 51 Texas wineries recognized, and they won a total of 164 medals. That's over 10% of the total medals at Texom going to Texas Wines. Now, three of these medals were for the most prestigious judges selection, and these went to, for Texas White Wine, the Sandy Road Vineyards, 2021 Albarino. For Texas Red, the English Newsome Cellars, 2019 Cabernet Sauvignon from Steve and Cindy Newsom Vineyards. And for Texas Rosé, Adega Vino's 2021 Estate Rosé of Morvedra from Bilger Family Vineyards. So huge congratulations to these top winners. There were also nine platinum medals given to Texas wines. Um, the whites include another Albarino, this one from St. Trifon, also a Pinot Grigio from Gambini Family Estate, the Yano Marsan from One Way Vineyards, and finally from Hilmi Cellars, Tejas Blanc, which is a Marsan-Roussan blend. The reds that received platinum medals include a single vineyard Sandy Road Morvedra, the Becker GSM, and the Becker 2019 Cabernet Sauvignon, Messina Hoff's Private Reserve Cabernet Franc, and the Senior Texas Hill Country Tannat. Now the Texas Hill Country Wineries Group put out a press release noting that the Texas Hill Country Winery members won 5 of the 9 platinum medals and as well as many other awards. And of the award-winning Texas wines there were 13 that were from Texas Hill Country AVA. So there were remember 164 total medals and 13 of these were from Hill Country Fruit. So that's about 8% of the medals that went to Hill Country Fruit. The rest were labeled with appellations of Texas, Texas High Plains, various Texas counties, and there were four wines that meddled from Texoma AVA. I'll also mention Rinery, a new winery along the 290 Wine Road. They took home five judges' selection awards for their South African wines, and I wrote all about Rinery's wines and their resident white rhino in a recent article on Texas Wine Lover, so find that in the show notes. And congrats to Winery as well. Well, my favorite wine writers, Dorothy Gator and John Bresher, are at it again. And by that, I mean they're writing about Texas wine again. They write at grapecollective.com. And their most recent article about Texas wine is an in-depth look at how the Cabernet Grill owner, Ross Burtwell, and wine director, Elizabeth Rodriguez, developed the Cabernet Grill's all-Texas wine list. It actually features more than 175 wines from about 55 wineries. It was great to read this story. Ross says that in 2006, he decided to replace the existing wine list with the Texas-focused wine list. And he says, quote, I was determined to honor the local vineyards and winemakers and to change the public perception of Texas wines. So we went full steam and created not only a 100% Texas wine list, But also the largest collection of carefully curated Texas wines in the nation. We met with winemakers individually and hand-selected through tasting the best quality wines that Texas had to offer. End quote. It wasn't always smooth sailing, but he did say that his wine sales increased by 17 to 20 percent in the first year. People were curious about Texas wine and they wanted to try them matched with Hill Country cuisine. And then he says, and I love this quote, so we said to hell with the naysayers and we just kept building our list. So Elizabeth Rodriguez is Cabernet Grill's wine director and she's responsible for training the rest of the staff on the wine list and she's a pro at helping guests, many of whom probably are not familiar with Texas wines, to find a bottle that will complement their dinner. Elizabeth says, if you show your enthusiasm with your guests about what you're about to pour, they're with you. It's about having their trust. They're trusting with their money with something they've never had before. But if you're just honest and tell them what to expect from a wine, you pour it and it's a hit. And for Rodriguez, the bottom line is that she wants customers to remember the moment when they tried something different. I love that. A recent article in the Dallas Morning News told the story of Dr. Fred Cummings, who runs Edge of the Lake Vineyards in Valley View, Texas. That's up north of Dallas, Fort Worth. The article is titled How This North Texas Wine School Is Bolstering a New Boom of Black Winemakers. Grayson College caters to professionals looking to transition into the wine industry. Dr. Cummings, his son, and their vineyard manager all completed the viticulture and enology program at Grayson in 2019. The article states that about 10% of current students in Grayson's program are black and less than 1% of winemakers in the US are black according to the Association of African-American Vintners. Phil Long is the owner of Longevity Wines in California, and he's the president of that association. And he said that statistic parallels the number of U.S. farmers who are black. Andrew Snyder, Grayson's director of viticulture, says, our typical student is not an 18-year-old. Our average student is over 35 and looking to transition into the craft beverage industry. Grayson's program currently offers weekend classes and recently opened a $1.5 million distillery that offers programs that appeal to working adults and they're currently enrolling. William Chris Wine Company has announced that it's building a new outpost of lost draw cellars and it will be in Johnson City. Construction starts soon and they're looking at a fall 2023 opening. Jeff Siegel, who writes under the name the Wine Curmudgeon, has a new article in Wine Enthusiast. It's called How Herbicides Are Threatening Texas Wine Production. Jessica Dupuis, the author of The Wines of Southwest USA, she's also a wine writer at Texas Monthly, is quoted and says, the High Plains has to be an important part of the wine industry. She says that it's not just about the quality of the High Plains grapes that's important, but it's also the amount of production. And without it, there would be no Texas wine industry. The author Jeff Siegel notes that there's a sense that some growers, if they win this settlement that we've talked about many times on this podcast before, they may plow their vines under and return to cotton. Remember that many of the grape growers in the region started farming other crops and then they moved to grapes because grapes require less water and are are generally more lucrative. And here are a few events that are on my radar Vinovium will be hosting the Texas Wine Jam in Johnson City on September 4th. It's a Texas wine and music festival. They've got 15 wineries, three bands, and proceeds benefit two great causes. One is Sims Foundation to support mental health and substance abuse recovery services in the music industry. And the other beneficiary is the Scholarship Foundation at Texas Hill Country Wineries. So it sounds like everyone who loves Texas wine is going to be there. Go ahead and get your tickets and follow TX Wine Jam on Instagram for the latest. Texas Fine Wine also has two great events coming up. First, the annual Texas Fine Wine Sunset Cruise takes place on September the 9th on Lake Austin. Then later that month, they'll kick off Texas Wine Month, which is in October, as you know with a September 30th dinner at Spicewood Vineyards. And finally, a new event is taking place October 27th through October 30th. The Tasting Texas Wine and Food Festival will debut at various locations within San Antonio. Putting on this festival is a team effort that includes the James Beard Foundation, Visit San Antonio, and Culinaria, a nonprofit that supports the culinary industry in San Antonio. So surely with a name like Tasting Texas Wine and Food, there will be an excellent selection of Texas wine there. And I'm happy to know that Jen Beckman is on the planning committee. So I know that she will be looking out for her Texas wine interests. So there's more information coming soon on events related to that festival. Cheers to all of you who are listening to this podcast while harvesting. It is July, which means that it's the start of harvest in the Hill Country And the High Plains vineyards usually start just a bit later. All reports I've heard indicate that it's been a good year, although it's been incredibly dry, with heat spikes at several important times. But the fruit is looking good. I can always count on Lewis Wine's Instagram page to tell it like it is. And in a June 23rd post, the caption asks, When the relief from high temperatures and drought will come. They say, remarkably, the vineyards are in good shape. Berry size and cluster size is smaller than normal, but that is not always a bad thing for a winemaker. Well, rain did come to the hill country last week, and so did extremely high winds. I haven't heard about any damage to grapevines, but some buildings had metal roofs torn off and the peach farmers sure weren't happy that many of their ripe peaches ended up on the ground, but we can sure use the rain. My next stop on my summer of travel is to the Texas High Plains. I'll be there next week, so watch at Texas Wine Pod on Instagram to see where I am and what I'm doing. Find links to register for these events and links to all these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. My newsletter subscribers get to hear the -the behind-the-scenes stories of putting out a Texas wine podcast. The newsletter includes my latest wine experiences and some favorite wines that I don't have time to talk about on the show. And they also get some fun freebies. Of course, it's all free. This summer, I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling and will release new podcasts on a limited basis. But subscribing to the newsletter will mean that you're still in the loop. So sign up for the podcast newsletter at thisistexaswine.com, then click Newsletter Sign Up, and you'll be the first to know what's going on behind the scenes. And now on to my conversation with Clint Thomas, the owner of Cellar Rat Tours. He's equal parts Texas Hill Country tourism guide, driving expert, sit-down comedian, part-time winemaker, amateur photographer of wine tourists, and number one wearer of rat-themed clothing including his signature bandana headband, of course. He seems to know everyone in the Hill Country, and I'm sure that in his decade-long experience here, he's seen some things in this business. Here's my best attempt to get Clint to share some secrets about wine country tourism with the rest of us. Okay, Clint, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited for people to hear about your experience in the Texas wine country from being an actual cellar rat to running cellar rat wine tours. And through it all, I imagine you've learned a lot about hospitality and about wine people and people in the industry, as well as people new to wine. So tell me where does your Texas wine story start?
1: Ooh, about 2010, the summer of 2010. Uh came down to help a buddy get a winery off the ground, rocking and rolling. William Chris Vineyards. Chris and I went to high school together. So I came down in the summer of 2010 to help him with harvest and help get the business rocking and rolling. And I had amassed a pretty good set of blue-collar skills up to that point. So pretty handy to have a guy like me on property. And I immediately got thrown into the grapes, learned how to grow grapes the hard way, harvested the first weekend I was here. Immediately got put into the winery, didn't know anything about wine, didn't drink wine. Um, but it was a trial by fire and kind of fell in love with it that way.
0: So San Angelo, Texas? That's
1: correct. This is
0: about San Angelo. A lot of uh, people end up in the hill country working in wine from San Angelo.
1: Well, it's a good place to be from.
0: So obviously you got your start as a cellar rat and that's where the name of your business came from. Correct. But I want to to ask you what you remember about the early tours that you gave in the Hill Country before you started your own place. What kinds of people were you touring and what were some of the biggest attractions and what were people excited about in Texas wine?
1: Oh, that is a long time ago. (laughs) Um, It was completely different. So it would be people call on a Friday and I'd take them on a Saturday. That's not the case so much anymore. Um, We are a little bit more organized than that these days and you have to be, but it was a little bit more of the the Wild West called the uh, called the venue when you're on the way. Can't really do that one anymore. And uh, you know, early wine drinkers were exactly twelve years ago. They were they're what you thought they were. Um, the wine industry was completely different twelve years ago. Finding the quality of wine that you can in 2022 was not really an option in 2010. So there's a few producers out there that were doing the doing the job well and. We kind of decided early on that we were going to focus on the production aspect and show off what Texas is actually doing as a wine producing state early on, kind of made that decision.
0: That's great. And I know it's important that you can share your own personal winemaking journey with people on your tours. Tell me how that piece came about.
1: Oh, it's almost immediately I decided that this is kind of awesome and it's where I want to spend the rest of my life. So the winemaking part of it was I started looking into that at about 2012, 2013, right around when I started the tour business. But turns out when you operate on the level that I do, finding grapes as a hobbyist, especially in 2013, 2014, 2015, wasn't as easy as you might think when you're looking at half a ton, one ton, ton and a half. So, uh, 2015 was when I first made my first vintage, and uh, Mike Batek from High Meadow Winery had a little bit of extra fruit and decided he could do without some. So, I bought my first ton of Sangiovese and made 53 cases of wine in Mike Batek's cellar at High Meadow.
0: And that was enough fun that you decided you want to continue with it. I know you've had several releases since then,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So, I did uh, skip 2016 because. The grape acquisition is definitely the hardest part of all this for a hobbyist, like I said. And then in 2017, I got some wine put together and felt really good about that. Made my first blend in 2017. It was called Estoyaki. It was uh, really the kind of the fuel on the fire and kind of made me realize what part of the winemaking process that I feel like I excelled at. So I'm uh, my friends like to call me a winemaker. So it's a uh, I blend wines and get them in a the bottle, and I have a lot of help doing it. And it's not very much a secret anymore how I get wines in the bottle. So
0: very good. And are you still making it at High Meadow?
1: No, I uh, work with the uh, William Chris Wine Company. Most of my stuff is done at Lost Straw or through the Lost Straw team.
0: Okay, I tasted some of your wines not long ago at Vintners Hideaway. Oh, beautiful. And they were delicious. And I have to ask you about your labels because they're really clever.
1: Yeah. um, So my lovely lady Katie not only runs my life and business, but uh, she also designs everything that you see. Uh, This shirt that I'm wearing, this hat that I have on. She has uh, got a degree from Texas Tech in advertising with a focus on graphic design. So she does all of our labels, and we work together on that to make uh, real fun labels pop and make them look easy to catch an eye. So never that they're going to be on a grocery store shelf, but we do like to have a little fun with what we do.
0: Yeah, I like the black and white. I don't know if they're all black and white, but the ones that I saw uh, most recently were black and white and just really graphical and cool.
1: Yeah, I released the Rosé one time in 2020, which is, I don't know if you know this, a great time to release wine. Uh, lots, of, lots of tourism in 2020. Okay. Lots of people out here spending sure. their time and money. And uh, no, nah, we did a Sasquatch Pink is what it was called. It was really fun too. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's uh, it's around somewhere, but we've sold out of that. And it was a real fun rosé and a label we got kind of silly with. We had a little bit extra time for some reason to be more creative.
0: Not as many tours running, I'm sure. That's correct. So tell me about... The most common uh, questions you get about Texas wine, when people come maybe to explore for the first time, what kind of experience are they looking for? Are they super interested in the nitty-gritty of winemaking? Do they already have preconceived notions of what Texas wine may be? Like, where do you even begin?
1: Um, So it's group by group. Uh, You see all kinds doing what I do. So I've met people from all over the world with all kinds of different interests. A lot of people are out to have the experience and take the pictures, which is fine, and The kind of the other end of that spectrum, people actually get down to the nitty-gritty of the winemaking. They want to see back at the house. They want to go see wine being bottled. They want to see grapes coming in. So it kind of just depends group by group, but we can kind of take care of all of that. We hit the spectrum, right? So if you want to taste the wine and take a couple bottles home and take a few pictures, we got you. And if you want to know How many wineries there are within a 60 mile radius or how many tons make this or what kind of grapes are grown or where the grapes are grown. Things like that we're very in tune with so we can answer a lot of questions. I'll tell you this, uh, as far as tour guest questions go, in nine years of doing wine tours, I've been stumped one time.
0: Okay, what was it?
1: Uh, It was a guy who actually runs... Vineyards. He's a vineyard manager up in Oregon and they grow their grapes completely different than we do here. So he asked me a question, like, why don't you lay down new cordons every year? And uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. I asked several people, and that's what I tell uh, tour guests all the time hey, if I can't answer your question, I'll call somebody that knows the answer. So um, yeah. we couldn't find a really good answer. I think it's just the differences in probably cold weather versus warm weather growing and how fast grapes are growing and if they're on rootstock or own rooted and what kind of soil they have. So there's probably some differences that go in there.
0: Well, back in January, you were on a panel at the Texas Hill Country Winery Symposium talking about winery traffic management, I think was the title of the program. And I wonder if there were a couple of uh, things that you remember from that session that would be interesting to listeners. Um, Because many people who listen to this podcast actually work in winery tasting rooms. So From a tour guide perspective, what did you hope to impart to wineries that may have either heard it on site, there, or are listening now?
1: Oh, uh, as much as uh, I was honored to be on that board, I mean, I don't know how much I contributed. Oh, I mean, the most important thing to us is everyone wants us to be on time, and we love to be punctual with our tours, and the only reason we're not is because the timing from a tasting could be off one way or the other if we do an hour tasting here and it happens in 25 minutes, it's tough to justify, Hey, now I have to fill this time or the way worse version of that. If you say, Hey, I need an hour of your time. And then we take two and now I'm an hour behind and I have to scramble to get to the next place on time. Or that's one of the biggest issues that I have, but I mean, it's so manageable at this point. We're really good at it. So it's not really that hard to make a phone call and say, Hey, look, these people ran late. We're we're going to come early, so we do it all the time.
0: I guess you have to be on the same page as the person pouring at the winery, just to make, making sure you're all keeping on task.
1: Oh, I think it's so much better than it used to be. Like I said, there's a lot more structure than there used to be, and I think most people are really working towards having that that timing as a goal. Now, as for us, at Wine Tours, we always schedule enough time at each spot because we kind of figure we've kind of done business long enough to know what it takes so we're never going to rush anybody and we're never going to try to uh, slow play anybody either so
0: you've got a great website i was poking around on it last night and you've got a thorough description of places where you commonly take guests and people could almost use your website to plan their own trip i'm just saying but there's a lot of good stuff on there um I wonder how you have seen wineries successfully deal with guests who don't always behave. You do have a policy on your tours that you have a behavioral expectation that people need to follow if somebody gets cut off, like the tour's over. Correct. Um, how do wineries best handle guests that have been overserved or are just obnoxious in whatever way?
1: We have responsibility for our guests and we have contracts with a lot of these wineries. So I have no problem telling somebody it's time to go home. It's happened one time in nine years, so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, It's a thing that really doesn't come up very often. We attract the we attract a certain set of tour guests that are going to be a little bit more professional in their approach. Generally speaking, we don't have the woo woo girls and or the woo woo guys at that point. And uh, you know, like people are usually with us, very respectful of what we ask of them. Now, as far as some rando who has had too much, or maybe been overserved at a different place, and shows up drinking a cold beer at a winery, like that's certainly I uh, <laughs> I do my best to dodge those situations because uh, like wineries are really really good at understanding where their uh, I guess understanding where their bread is buttered, so they don't want that happening, and they you know, it's doesn't always go well, but when they ask him to leave, they, it usually goes one of two ways, one of two ways. One goes, all right, you're right. Um, good call. I should probably get out of here. And the other one is watch how good I am at Yelp. So, uh, yeah, anyway, it's very rarely the horror story that you've heard. I
0: have a friend that has restaurants in Dallas and he has a very nicely um, like cross-stitched sign on their hostess stand that says, be nice or leave.
1: Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love the, that. On
0: the actual menu, he has um, something in, very prominently in a box that said, if you have any service problems or any problems with your food here, let us know while you're on site because it does no good for anyone for you to go home and write a nasty review if you don't give us the opportunity to correct it in the moment.
1: Right. I uh, I feel that so much. The worst review that we have on any of the review sites is a two-star And uh, I know, I remember exactly, it was a very vivid memory that uh, at the end of the day, I always ask, hey, did you guys have fun? Because that's my priority, right? This is, I want these people to have a good time. So I ask at the end of every day, hey, did you guys have fun? And this lady, I remember who it was, swore up and down, she had the time of her life. And then two days later, we got a two-star review and uh, took every fiber of my being not to respond like I wanted to. Katie got final say on my response too, which is probably smart. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm sure you're good at reading people in the moment to see if something needs to be changed about the approach of the tour yes. as it goes instead of the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I've uh, done nine years of the sit-down comedy bit, so I usually do some feeler things to see where people's uh, see where people's humor lies. So I generally, uh, I generally have it figured out by the end of stop one.
0: Are you a huge extrovert, or does this wear you out?
1: Um. Yes. So it takes, a, it takes a lot of fuel to run this machine, but if you ask Katie, uh, when I get done, it's, I run it hard and I crash hard, so it's just the way I'm wired, I guess. Yes, I'm an extrovert, and yes, it takes a lot out of me.
0: That makes sense. You're, you're working hard. Eh. I did notice you have a lot of great reviews, as well as um, great reviews for people that run tours for you.
1: Yeah, Chris is with us. Um, Clem was with us for a long time, started with us from the very beginning. He had to go make some money. So <laughs> he, his, he followed his passion. He actually is now the head brewer for Bell Springs Brewing Company there in Dripping Springs. And if you are a beer drinker at all, you should definitely try it out because he makes really good beer. But Chris is with us, and Chris is such a blessing and an asset to have with us. And the dude is independent, and he knows exactly what happens next. And he has everyone's phone numbers like I have everyone's phone numbers. And I would hope that all the staff at wineries would treat him like they treat me. He's really good. He's uh, forgotten more about wine than I'll ever know. So that that dude is quite the animal when it comes to wine touring. He works really, really hard at it.
0: I have a couple of like quick questions to ask you, like lightning round, if you're up for that. Sure. The best winery for a group of over 10 people?
1: I mean, what do they want? They want atmosphere? <laughs> do they want good product? Do they want an experience?
0: An experience.
1: Cool. You should go to Fatass.
0: I've never been to Fatass.
1: It is a high-energy place like no other winery out here. And if it's ten people, it's no problem.
0: It looks like it's a large place.
1: It is, and they get it popping on Saturdays. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, best winery for sweet wine lovers.
1: <laughs> wow, you tricked me there. It's also fat ass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wonder Oh uh,
1: no. So okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have all all of their wines are sweet, and uh, if we have a people who have a group that has. Fans of sweet wine, fans of dry wine, we do a place like uh, Messina Hoff that has a lot of options, or Texas Wine Collective that has a lot of options, or Bingham Family Vineyards has a lot of options. So we uh, when we take those groups with mixed tastes out, we like to make sure everyone is covered.
0: Cool. The best lunch spot between Johnson City and Fredericksburg?
1: I mean, if you haven't had a smash burger from Matt Church, you're losing out.
0: Excellent. It looks like you do a lot of picnics with your groups.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do a, a lot of picnics now. We uh, lately are looking for some more uh, indoor seating because I don't know if you've been outside lately. It's not fun. Yeah. But yeah, we do a lot What's of... the best
0: uh, place to take a picnic?
1: I don't know. We really like Texas Wine Collective and uh, the food program at High Meadow is changing, but currently we do a lot of food there as well because they have a beautiful backyard and there's often some wildlife, they have some donkeys that you can pet and feed, and they, people take it.
0: I'm guessing you probably, um, if people want to take a picnic somewhere, they need to make sure ahead of time that that may be just a special perk that you get on your tours. What's some place that you think is particularly good at talking with folks that are new to wine?
1: Mm. Like brand new, never been in a tasting room, first tasting in their lifetime? Yeah. I think that, you know, High Meadow does a really good intro to wine. And hey, we do have a couple of sweet, sweeter offerings. But having an explanation of where we go from grape to bottle is something people dig. And I think William Chris does a great job of that. Their staff is very well educated. I think everyone on staff is expected to... Be W set trained. I believe that's the case. Even if you're the guy that cleans the toilet, you should have a W set trained so you have bare bone intro to what winemaking and wine production is all about.
0: Good deal. What's a cool spot that's new?
1: Mm, we went to Aerosol last week.
0: Is that how you say that? I've seen yes. the name on social media, but yeah. i was not sure how to
1: pronounce it. Yeah, it's Aracel. We had a great experience with uh, Luis there the other day. I thought the wines were tasty across the board. The atmosphere is great. Um, the guy could not have been nicer that presented us our wines. So, I mean, service was on point. Very, very happy to see people coming in with quality like that. And uh, I think there's some out-of-state stuff on that menu. But, you know, for the quality that it is, it's, it's pretty nice.
0: What do you think is a great experience for maybe industry professionals um, who visit from other states? Like what's a more in-depth experience that people should try to have?
1: In wine? Yeah. Okay. Um, You know, the, the Kuhlman food and wine pairing is also a pretty great intro to wine, even if it's a great intro to food and wine pairing, and I think that people from out of state should check stuff out like that. And then I think William Chris has a food and wine pairing now that uh, is, I think it's like an hour and a half, two hour experience where they do several paired wines from the library. So I do think, uh, I do think that those kind of elevated experiences for people who are in the wine industry are kind of fun. And I mean, when we go to other wine regions, I don't really want to be the guy that bellies up to the bar and, has five wine shots and they say, thanks for the, thanks for the visit. You know, I find that when we go to, we've been to California and been treated like royalty out there every time we've been. And I think that's awesome because to, you know, reciprocate that industry love, even out of state is very, very cool to see. Yeah,
0: for sure. This might be outside the scope of your tours, but what's a place that has the best nightlife?
1: (sighs) I don't really go out much
0: <laughs> um, past. <laughs> or best live music.
1: Okay. Uh, I think in Fredericksburg, Texas, Crossroads spends more money on their music than most people. But if you're here on the weekend, it's truly up to you. There's so many live music venues here. So you can walk down Main Street and choose what music you want to listen to. But Crossroads often does spend more of their mu- money, more money on their music than a lot of these other venues do. So you'll go up and see a eight piece band on a Saturday night. And they'll get the place rocking. I don't do that anymore because uh, I don't like to be with that many people.
0: I understand. That's why I'm podcasting from my closet
1: today. Hey, nice.
0: Um, I'm not going to ask you who's overrated, but is there anybody that you think is underrated that you're um, hoping would get a little more attention?
1: Um, I mean, some of the independent producers, and that's not, for me to toot my own horn, but some of the independent producers that nobody knows about who don't even sell their wine. They make the wine and they give it away for gifts to families, friends. There's a I don't want to name any names. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but uh, one of my good friends makes fantastic wine and he makes 10 or 12 cases at a time and busts it out at dinners at his house or gives it his birthday or Christmas gifts. He doesn't make any money doing it. He actually is in the negative doing it, but there's some folks out here who are making wine that nobody knows about. And I think that, uh, I'm very blessed to a, be have a, able to have access to those ones and, and B know that like, it's never going to be the part where I need to blow it up to 10,000 cases and be moan thing because they're doing just fine in life without the income from the wine.
0: Yeah. Passion project.
1: Absolutely. Sure. I, I kind of feel, I feel that.
0: It's cool that there are a couple of places that those types of winemakers can get a little bit of visibility and have people try their wines, like Vintner's Hideaway. Absolutely. Um, the new place that I went to most recently, they had some of your wines on the, on the list as well, which was uh, the Den at Wine Cup.
1: Oh, very nice. Yeah, they're awesome, too. We're actually going to be gonna there. Event mm, up or? The 24th, uh, I believe, is... We're going to be up there from, I don't mean, know, it'll be afternoon to the evening. We're trying to try to capture some of more of that uh, industry audience because I, I can tell you that from the beginning, the industry love is the only reason that we're still here.
0: As winemakers or mm-hmm. as tour guides?
1: Yes. Oh Correct. Yeah. I think all, of all things that I've experienced in this industry, I've met the best people in my life doing this. And that's not only the people who are on the, the service side and the tasting rooms and the production side and the vineyards, the best friends of my life for people I've met here in this industry. So seems like everyone's got their head screwed on, right? And we all kind of have a common goal of pushing this to the next level. Uh, Texas wine, when I say this, pushing Texas wine to the next level and When you see people that have a common goal, it's really cool to be a part of it.
0: That is cool. I noticed on your website you said something about producers that uh, make 100% Texas wine, and and I know that some of the wineries on your list are, are part of the Texas wine growers group that commit to doing only Texas wines. Is that important to people that you drive around, do you think?
1: I don't think it would be a priority for most people early in the day. But I think by the end of the day, when people have the Texas wine experience that we offer, I think they'll have a little bit better, I don't know, I guess mindset to wrap their minds around what we're all trying to achieve out here. And yeah, we do focus on places that are 100% Texas. Now, it's not exclusive, but most of our tours revolve around the Texas wine industry when I say Texas wine industry, I mean from the grape growing side all the way through.
0: Well, it seems like one of the challenges has just been finding staff. And it's hard to deliver a wonderful experience if you don't have enough people working the tasting room on Correct. a busy Saturday. I know the reservation systems that most places are employing these days can help control that at some level. But it's still a challenge. And then people that may be listening from other states and involved in the wine industry there... Uh, Come to Texas and start start working in the tasting room or yeah. doing yeah, come on. jobs need to be done at winery.
1: Yeah, come on. I uh, I tell people all the time, if you want to quit what you're doing in real life and come work in the Texas wine industry, we'll get you a job by the time you leave town. And, I mean, as most people who are listening will know, we had labor issues before the pandemic. It's very, very hard to live and work in this area. If anyone's ever taken a look at the real estate in this area, it's really ridiculous so uh, a lot of people commute and the other answer is roommates but uh, I'm almost 40 I don't want any roommates so I don't live in Fredericksburg I live very far outside of town mm-hmm. but yeah I mean getting people that are qualified or people who are I mean at least interested it's been a, an ongoing challenge for everyone who works in this industry
0: I just saw that there was an announcement that they're adding a turn lane on 290. Do you know anything about that?
1: Uh, cool. <laughs> no. I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they added a 60-mile-an-hour sign to 290 several years ago, but it's just like, uh, it's just like when we read signs in Fredericksburg that don't mean what they actually mean, like coming soon. Um, that doesn't mean what it means in other places. Also that 60 miles an hour, nobody, nobody does that. I'm the only one going 60 miles an hour down that road all day, every day. So, uh, I just don't have money for a speeding ticket.
0: Well, this is, um, it's awesome to hear what your experience has been. And I love that you're getting a high caliber of guests who are wanting to know about Texas wine. And it seems like more and more are coming every year. And I'm, I know you're out there taking good care of them. I do my best. Is there like a is there a seller rat like hand signal or a call and response that people should use when they see you out in public?
1: Uh, there is, but it's inappropriate.
0: Oh, awesome!
1: It's uh, it's, uh, it's, so it's it's it's, it's to it's, you and it's, ask for it anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the one you're thinking.
0: Okay. Well, I'm. I didn't recognize you without a bandana. on your
1: uh, hat, no, you I, I have can seller rat hat. That's correct. That's correct. Now. I. Uh, I. This is how I address uh, to go to HEB just so people don't know who I am.
0: <laughs> Very under the radar with the fluorescent wrap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Clint, for the conversation and the tips. Be sure to follow Cellar Rat Wine Tours on Instagram. That's just at Cellar Rat Wine Tours. Or visit their website. You guessed it, Tours.com to learn more. Next up, Demerits and Gold Stars. Tourism is experiencing a bit of a slowdown in Fredericksburg right now, so the wineries and restaurants will be especially glad to see you if you plan a trip for this summer, or go ahead and book ahead for the fall. If you find yourself needing a place to stay in Fredericksburg, be sure to look up Cork and Cactus, my two-king bedroom, one-bath place, less than a mile from Main Street. If any podcast listener actually books Cork and Cactus, I'll help you with your itinerary for Fredericksburg. Just email me, and I'll help you figure out what to do. So come enjoy the Texas wine country and get away from it all. Find Cork and Cactus on Airbnb or book at heavenlyhosts.com. I'm issuing a demerit to the Wine Enthusiast magazine. They recently announced that they'll no longer be doing wine reviews for U.S. states other than California, Oregon, Washington, New York, and Virginia. I took a look and found out that they've only done three wine reviews for Texas wines in the past two years anyway, so I don't think we're talking about a major loss, but I'm still annoyed about it, mostly because Virginia? Why Virginia? According to Wine America, Virginia ranks number eight in the U.S. in wine production behind California, Washington, New York, Oregon, Texas, Michigan, and North Carolina, And Virginia is number six in the number of wineries behind all the usual suspects, including Texas, which appears at number five. When it comes to economic impact of the wine industry, Virginia wine comes in at number nine, and Texas is number three. And while I've had some very good, even excellent Virginia wine, including the wine that won the Finger Lakes International Wine Competition's best-in-class Cabernet Sauvignon, which was the Pollock Cellars 2019 Cabernet Sauvignon, by the way— as a whole, I don't believe that the quality of Virginia wines is superior to that of Texas wines. As you can imagine, there was a response from the Texas wine-loving community online, and online commentary suggests that there may be a financial reason why wine enthusiasts is cherry-picking states to cover, and I'm guessing there is probably some truth in that sentiment. There's also a strong sense that the ability of Texas wineries to add up to 25% grapes from other states has hindered the perception of quality of Texas wines. Presumably, Wine Enthusiasts will continue to cover Texas in its editorial efforts. So thumbs down to Wine Enthusiast for narrowing the focus of its wine reviews, but especially for including Virginia and not Texas. And moving on to our gold star, hey, I'm giving myself and you, the listeners, gold stars. Last month, this podcast turned two years old. That's 46 episodes down and a whole lot of listens. So thanks for spreading the word to your friends, and thanks for your feedback and great ideas. Thank you to those of you who have supported the podcast by buying me virtual Texas wine. I really appreciate every single listen, and I'm not going to count up the hours I've spent or the money either. Let's just call it a passion project. But this does seem like a good spot for a sponsorship plug. So if this podcast, which reaches thousands of Texas wine enthusiasts and industry participants, could help raise awareness for your brand, please reach out to talk about sponsorship opportunities for the fall. I'd be happy to send over my sponsorship kit. Okay, that's all. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, leave a review, follow me on social media, leave feedback, even leave me a voicemail at 802-585-1286. The email address, texaswinepod at gmail.com. And if you've got any hot pieces of Texas wine news that need to be shared, please send them my way. The show notes and more can be found at thisistexaswine.com. I'll be back in a month with a new episode, but until then, you can catch up on all the episodes that you might have missed. Finally, thank you to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. Visit txwinelover.com to help plan your next winery visit. Cheers, y'all.